0: all right good morning. good morning hey can you thank the band from down south yeah you know a little bit of southern blues there you know i didn't know you know san jose i, I was got thinking you know is that in louisiana where is that and, and i realized they are from the south they guys are from the deep south right because you're from the southern end of the bay right san jose right so san jose is kind of about as far south as you get if you're from northern california but thanks for bringing Jesus to the blues, or the blues to Jesus. Anyway, okay, here, open, good morning. Open your Bibles. Let's go to Matthew. Actually, no, no, no. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. We're going to go to Romans chapter 3 together. My name is Pastor Dale, I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and it's my joy to uh, open the word with you today. Uh, we're going to look at Romans 3 because we're going to explore the topic of the cross. Was it a mere injustice? Or was there a whole lot more going on on this event that we call the crucifixion? Easter's coming. Resurrection is coming. The joy of the resurrection is coming. So next Sunday morning, don't be late. That's what we're going to focus on. But today, I really wanted to take us back to take a kind of a fresh look at the cross. Because I'm convinced that a lot of times... We miss. We miss the mystery of what was really, really happening below the event. So that's where we're going to go. So welcome. Father, would you open your word to us? Would you open our hearts and our minds to understand it? Would you help us to understand some of the deeper things about God and about our relationship with God? Would you help us understand the cross? So it moves from being a piece of jewelry that we wear or a symbol that we hang on the wall, that it moves from being uh, not just a symbol of execution, but uh, something much, much deeper than that. So we love you, we ask you to teach us, and we listen to you today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I thought I'd introduce the sermon first in a little different way today. And just help us remember what we're talking about when we talk about the cross. Listen to the book of Matthew. I'll read to you. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they gave Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, He was unwilling to drink, knowing that it was really designed to help deaden His pain. When they had crucified him, they hoisted the cross. They then divided his garments, because they had stripped him, divided his garments by casting lots, and sitting down, they began to just keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put a charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews, as a form of mockery of the crime that he was accused of. Verse 38, and at that time two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at Jesus, wagging their heads and saying, you who were going to destroy the temple and raise it up in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down off the cross. In the same way, the priests and the scribes and the elders were mocking him, saying, he saved others. He can't even save himself. He's the king of Israel. Well, let him come down off the cross and then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. He says that God delights in him. Well, saying that I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. And we know if we look at the other gospel accounts that as Jesus is hanging on the cross at this point, He says a couple unique things. One is He cries out and He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. A little later, He looks down at His own mom at the foot of the cross and He says, Mother, this is your son. And He looks to John, His disciple, and says, John, this is your mother. In other words, I'm entrusting my mom to you. Take care of her. He hangs on the cross and then about noon, about the sixth hour, which is around noon, something happens, says, now in the sixth hour, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. For three hours he hangs in darkness dying. Then he cries out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately they ran to get some sour wine, try to give him a drink. Let's keep him alive. Let's see what happens. But the rest of them were saying, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then later Jesus cried out again in a loud voice. And John tells us, he says two things. He says, it is finished. It is finished. And then he yielded up his spirit with his final words being, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died. What's going on? A lot of times we read that story and we hear what happened at the cross and it's easy to do a couple things. It's easy to kind of sanitize it as a biblical story and not really listen to what's going on. A lot of the gory details are actually underplayed in the story. Uh, It's kind of interesting that a few years back, although there have been many movies about the crucifixion, including scenes of the crucifixion, but they almost always avoided the kind of the ugliness of it. A few years back probably the most graphic depiction of the crucifixion ever done was done by a movie called The Passion by Mel Gibson. Made huge headlines around America, didn't it? Remember that? The movie was met with different uh, responses as people, because with no commentary, he just showed what happened. He just showed the event. He showed the injustice of the trial. He showed the beatings. He showed the abuse. He showed the whippings. He showed the dirt and the blood and the ugliness of what it means to be crucified. And then he showed that crucifixion scene. People responded differently around America. Some of the responses were, for example, like this one. There's a report from uh, Indianapolis newspaper that reported this when the movie first came out the week of Easter. It says, Moviegoers in Evansville, Indiana attended the showing of the Passion of the Christ who got more than they bargained for Saturday night. They were greeted in the lobby in the theater by a man wearing a devil costume. Tyler Wendell, a 19-year-old freshman at the local university, the University of Southern Indiana, caused quite a ruckus with his get-up. The audience, many of whom were from church groups, were visibly upset with the antics of Wendell. Wendell later would say to the newspaper reporter, he says, I always like pushing the limits. Wendell said. Many were upset that he chose to wear a devil costume to a religious movie. Many patrons began to jeer Wendell as he stood in line for concessions. And once inside the movie, Christians began pelting Wendell with gummy bears, juju bees, and popcorn. It's probably the only weapons you have at hand, right? Uh, Management, however, had to get involved when a 75-year-old woman, Hazel Meyer, poured her 64-ounce cup of Coca-Cola on Wendell. Wendell, an atheist, as he left, said, I did this because if God really existed, he would have struck me down for dressing like that and come into the movie. And he says, I wanted to show that Christians aren't as forgiving as they say they are. I think he accomplished it. So next time you're in a movie with someone dressed like the devil, keep your gummy bears to yourself. Please. Overseas, however, the response to the movie was even more alarming, more interesting to me, outside of our more Christianized culture. What people didn't hear about in the news was captured in this report from the Chicago Sun-Times talking about the first week the movie was shown in the Middle East. Here's what they said. The movie opened in the Middle East to record crowds, mostly Muslim, bringing in over $300 million in the opening weekend. It played to packed movie houses in Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and other countries. One person reported that in a country where the, quote, Jesus film, could not even be allowed to be shown legally, this movie made it into the theaters and played to crowds where even Muslims were deeply moved as they watched the crucifixion of Jesus, asking why and shouting unfair and leaving the theater angry at the mere injustice of the way Jesus was treated. See, to them, when they watched the same crucifixion that I just read to you from the Bible, their response was simply, that is unjust. That is unfair. How could they treat Jesus that way? Because, you know, to Muslims, even though they don't have faith in Jesus as we do, they do believe He was one of the great prophets. They believe He was a holy man. They believe He was sinless. He was at least innocent in general. And so they have a very high regard for Jesus. And they saw Him being treated that way. And it just angered them. So to them, the crucifixion of Jesus was this. It was to show us the inhumanity and the injustice, that of man. For others, they look at Jesus and they see the cross and their response is, what is this about? And they go, no, this is an example of the love of God and the incredible love of God. And and it's an example of how we should love like Jesus loved. And, and, and you're going to hear in sermons from the book of Ephesians that yes, we are to forgive as Jesus forgave. We are to love as He loved. In fact, in two weeks, I'll be teaching the first part of Ephesians 5 and that very message will be delivered. So there's some truth to that. But here's my question this morning. Is that all that's going on? Because the world looks at the crucifixion and they often say this is merely a, an unjust execution of an innocent man and it should tell us to be more just as a culture others look at it and say no this is a great example of incredible love and grace and we should have more love and grace toward others we should be more loving as jesus is loving but was the cross and the crucifixion really an expression of injustice or love and is that it because that is what i think our culture often thinks and i want to make sure that none of us stop there Is it unjust? Yes. As an execution, Jesus got a raw deal. He didn't deserve what went down on him as as a criminal. At the same time, was it an expression of love? Yes. But there's something much, much deeper going on when we picture the cross. To put it in the form of a question for the morning, it's this. So if someone would ask you this week, as a Christian, why did Jesus have to die? What was going on? What does it mean for our lives today? Or does it have real meaning? How would you answer that? And if you're not real sure, let's go and listen to the greatest theologian who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of God, Romans chapter 3, answers the question, why for the cross? All right? and I want to talk about it. I want to read it. And then I want to give you three short Points that will hopefully take you deeper in your understanding of this thing called the cross and give you more reason to celebrate next Sunday morning. All right, is that a deal? That's a deal. Say yes. Here we go. All right. Pick it up with me. Verse, uh, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And let me get to it. And we will pick it up in verse 19. Now we know certainty. Now we know that whatever the law says, the law of God, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every person, every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God, that is, for their sin. Because by the works of the law, no flesh, no person will be justified. It means to be made just as if you'd never sinned or forgiven. No person is going to be justified or forgiven in the sight of God by keeping the works of the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law doesn't get rid of sin. The law shows us sin. It helps us have more awareness of our sin. And he says, so therefore, through keeping the law, no person can be justified. But, good news, verse 21, but now apart from the law, apart from how you live and how you How you obey the law. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe. For there is no distinction, that is between Jew or Greek, between someone who grows up in a religious environment or an irreligious environment or a pagan environment or a, or a law Jewish law-based environment. It doesn't matter. Jew, Greek, were all the same, he says. For there is no distinction, then he says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly, underline that, as an, as a payment or propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate, that is publicly, his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that God would be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me read that last line again. So that God would be both just and the justifier, the forgiver of one who has faith in Jesus. In that phrase we're going to see is what the cross was really all about. Father, I just really pray that as we study this now, you help us to see below the event of the cross, below the physical pain of the cross, below the actual execution of our lord jesus and help us to see the deeper meaning that you had for this event that's my prayer amen what do i see in this passage and i want to approach this topic a little differently than many but of that is i want to i want to draw out of the passage three major points and show them in contrast to how the culture often sees kind of a simplistic view of the cross as an innocent execution or even an incredible expression of love to show you something much deeper that's going on three things take these home with you and let these help you uh, throughout the week to really prepare for next Sunday number one the cross yes was a public shame yet it was a private far greater pain for Jesus The cross was a publicly shameful way to die. It was a horrendous way to die. But it was not the most important pain that Jesus experienced that day. There was a far greater pain than what human eyes could see. How do I know that? Verse 23 highlights it in the middle of our passage. He says that everyone's without excuse, every mouth is closed, verse 19 and 20. And then he says, apart from the law, there's salvation offered in this uh, through Christ, through faith, because, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what he's pointing out is that every member of humanity has sinned and failed to be able to do anything to bring themselves hope in Christ. or I mean, hope of, hope of forgiveness apart from Christ. That in Christ, we have that hope, we have our forgiveness, we can be justified, and we all need it. But, but, but it begins by understanding the depth of our sin. And that Jesus on the cross that day was not just one man dying a, 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 a death at the hands of an executioner, but he was indeed carrying the sins of humanity as he died. Uh, a couple cross references, just write them down, look them up this week, I'll read them to you. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us, he purchased us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us jesus hung on the tree hung on the cross cursed with our sins second corinthians 5:21 makes it even more crystal clear when second corinthians 5:21 says and jesus god made him that is jesus who knew no sin the only sinless one who ever lived he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that christ took our sins on the cross theologically there's a phrase for this it's used it's just i don't want to just teach you big words but this one is important uh, and the word is substitutionary atonement that jesus atoned for our sins by being our substitute taking our guilt taking our shame taking our sins upon himself so what was the greater pain Here's how I say it. The greater pain was that Jesus, though sinless, carried the curse of all sin for all people for all time and therefore was separated from His own Heavenly Father on the cross because of that sin. That on the cross there was something going on that people watching it and people watching even the best movie ever made about the crucifixion would be clueless to because you don't see it in the movie. But under the words, this is what was going on. Johnny Erickson in her book, um, uh, When God Weeps, talks about what Christ was experiencing on the cross in vivid language that I've never heard anyone use um, any better than this. I read this to you a few years ago in a different sermon series, but it's so good I thought you need to hear this a second time even if you were around two or three years ago. Listen to how Johnny Erickson, the author, describes what's going on on the cross says they put Jesus on the cross they lifted the cross up and put him on display but then she writes this but these pains that is of being beaten and hung on a cross were a mere warm up to his other growing dread jesus begins to feel a foreign sensation as he hangs on the cross somewhere during this day an unearthly foul odor began to waft uh, not around his nose but around his heart He feels dirty. Human wickedness starts to crawl upon his spotless being. The living excrement of our souls. The apple of the Father's eye turns brown with rot. His Father. He must face his Father. He must hang before his Father like this. From heaven the Father now rouses Himself like a lion disturbed. He shakes His mane. He roars against the shriveling remnant of a man hanging on the cross. Never has the Son seen the Father look at Him like this. Never felt even the least of His hot breath. But the roar shakes the unseen world and darkens the visible sky. And the Son of God does not recognize these eyes. Son of man, the father thinks. Son of man, why have you behaved so? You have cheated and lusted, stolen and gossiped, murdered and envied, hated and lied. You have cursed and robbed and overspent and overeaten. You have fornicated, disobeyed, embezzled, and blasphemed me. All the duties you have shirked, the children you have abandoned. Who has ever so ignored the poor, so played to the coward, so belittled my name? Have you ever held your razor tongue? What a self-righteous, pitiful, drunk you who molest young boys, peddle killer drugs, travel in cliques, and mock your parents. Who gave you the boldness to rig elections, foment revolutions, torture animals, and worship demons? Does the list never end? You've been splitting families, raping virgins, acting smugly, playing the pimp, buying politicians, practicing extortion, filming pornography, and accepting bribes. You have been burning down buildings. You've perfected terrorist tactics. You have founded false religions and traded slaves, relishing every morsel and then bragging all about it. I hate, I loathe these sins in you. Disgust for everything about you consumes me. Can you feel my wrath? Of course, the Son of God is innocent. He's blameless himself. The Father knows this. But the divine pair have an agreement, and the unthinkable must now take place. Jesus will be treated as if personally responsible for every sin ever committed. The Father watches as the treasure of His heart, His only begotten Son, the mere image of Himself, sinks drowning in raw liquid sin. Jehovah's stored up rage and wrath against humanity from every century explodes in a single direction to the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries as He senses separation from his Father. But heaven stops its ears. The Son stares at the one who cannot, who will not reach down or reply. You see, the Trinity had planned it. The Son would endure it. The Spirit enabled it. And the Father rejected the Son who he loved, Jesus. The God-man from Nazareth perished, died, the father accepted his sacrifice for sin and was satisfied. The rescue was accomplished. That's why Jesus said, it is finished. And then he breathed his last. And Before breathing his last, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus on the cross as he's dying, listen again, He says, at the height of bearing our sin, the separation from his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says later, but it is finished. It means paid in full. My mission is accomplished. Not I am finished, it is finished. Never read it, I am finished. That's a man giving up. That's a man dying. No, Jesus said, it is. My mission is finished. And then he breathed his last. But before he breathed his last, he said, My Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What do we learn from this? See, what we learn first is that Jesus was bearing the sins of humanity. He took your place. He died your death. He took your punishment and mine of all of humanity on the cross. And he paid the price for it. It's amazing that when you uh, listen to those final words, there's a lot of depth in that. Jesus starts. You know, so, let me tell you something about Jesus. Every time Jesus ever prayed, he goes into the garden right before the final days. Remember, he goes off alone in the garden. He prays and he says what? He says, my father, if this cup can pass for me, let it be so. My father. Every time Jesus talks to God, he calls him father, father, father. There's only one time then Jesus doesn't call him father. And it's when he's on the cross, right before he dies, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then as he says, it's finished, he returns and says, now into my Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. See, that's significant, that Jesus was separated from his heavenly Father as he bore our sins on the cross. So yes, crucifixion is a public shame, but there is a private, more deeper pain that jesus was feeling it wasn't the pain of nails and whips and crucifixion it was the pain of your sin my sin being paid for on the cross and that's the second observation the second observation and i want to highlight verse 24 now is that the cross was a far greater pain than what people watching the movie would ever see secondly It's a public punishment of a person, but there is a private deal, a private payment being made. It goes from a public punishment to the private payment behind the scene that I was talking about. Look at verse 24 again in our passage. Okay, Read it with me in your Bibles. Jesus says, it says, And being justified as a gift, not by our works, but as a gift, by His grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. The word redemption means to be purchased through a payment. And then he adds another word, whom God displayed publicly, that's the cross, as a propitiation, means payment in his blood through faith. So now he says publicly, I wanna I want to crucify my son as a public payment, publicly uh, of 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 for sin. So the, the cool thing is this passage is repeated, these words are repeated in 1 John chapter 2, where it says, now for in my life, if anyone sins, uh, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of God, Jesus the righteous, the perfect one, and he himself is the payment or propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world there 's another passage in second peter two one that if you read it, second peter two one actually says that even those who deny Jesus and don 't believe in him, it says that they are denying the very one who purchased them or redeemed them, so it doesn 't mean he gave them eternal life but he made it possible it 's why i believe I believe that it 's why I believe that Jesus died for the sins of not only the church he died for the sins of the whole world, every human being, even those who deny him, according to 2 Peter two one. Look it up. The more important message I'm giving you is this. You say, well, then how could the sacrifice of Jesus, the death of Jesus, pay for my sins, and not only mine, but how could His suffering pay for all sin, all time, all people? That's a good question. I've had non-Christians who are not... Followers of Jesus ask me that. They, they, they look at Christianity and they go, okay, you believe something that to me looks kind of wacky. That one person being crucified on a cross somehow gets, uh, makes forgiveness available for my sins and everyone else's? You know, how in the world could that be? How does it make sense? Nobody's suffering on a cross is a big enough sacrifice to earn the forgiveness of humanity. I've heard that right out of the mouth of people that I've been talking with about my faith. So how would you explain that? Let me help you. Here's the phrase that makes sense to me that I would share with them. I would say, understand that when Jesus died on the cross, the reason that God could say because of his death, I will forgive, I will make forgiveness available to humanity. Why? It's not because of the amount of the suffering it's because of the value of the sacrifice. Let me say that again. It's not because of the amount of suffering, it's because of the value of the sacrifice. I mean, Jesus could have stayed on the cross for weeks, for months, for years, and, and suffered and suffered and suffered. Or he could have God could have said, No, you've got to die a thousand times to pay for people's sin. So, no, but the reason that his crucifixion, the reason the cross provides forgiveness for anyone who will place their faith in Christ is because of the value of the sacrifice. Another way to say it that you can remember is this. It's not because of the size of the pain. It's the size of the payment. There's a difference. Yes, it's important that Christ died and bled and gave His life on a cross because Scripture said that's how He would die. But the power of the cross is not... The size of the pain. It is the value of the one hanging there. It's the size of the payment. The value of the sacrifice. The sinless son of God. You know, in any transaction, I mean, if you go out shopping for a car this week, and you find a car, you say, hey, I want to buy your car, it's a used car lot, I want to buy that car. You know, and you, and you say to the person who owns the car, okay, so what's it going to take to make the deal go down? I mean, you know, somebody has a price, you've got to pay the price, you've got to figure out, what is the price to make the deal go down? And in this case, when God the Father had to say, what's the price that I must demand to bring life to people, to bring forgiveness, to bring freedom, to bring total freedom and forgiveness to people as a gift how do i do that and and the father said it's going to cost something the only thing that has such value and that is the my only begotten son for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life right See, it's the value of Jesus as the sinless son of God. God said there is no human that can pay that big of a price. But I've got an idea. And he he planned the redemption of your soul and mine through this sacrifice of Jesus. You see, our faith is not placed in a whimsical God who one day says he loves me this day, he loves me not the next day. I call that daisy theology. When I was a kid, how many of you are old enough that you remember playing this game? You took a daisy and you started picking the, le- the, the, the little petals off. Remember that? You know, you, think, you know, your girlfriend, you're trying to get a word from God, right? So you get a daisy and you go, she loves me, she loves me not, she loves me, she loves me not. You ever, you ever done that? Am I the only one ever did that? okay yeah you know and usually mine ended bad okay you know she loves me not okay let's start on a different flower you know you know but you know but but god is not like that see the world thinks that god is that way depending on how i'm living from day to day one day he loves me next day he doesn't next one god loves me god loves me not god loves me god loves me not and man i hope i hope right before i die that i'm on a good one you know i hope i'm having a good day but that's, that's the God of religion. That's the God of morality. That's the God that says, I earn my own forgiveness. Romans 3 says, by the works of the law, no person can redeem their own soul. No person can pay for their own sin. You can't do enough good stuff to pay for the penalty for sin because the penalty for sin is death. Someone had to die. So there was a private deal going down. The cross was a public punishment but the more important thing is there was a private payment going on between the Son and the Father that makes life available to us today. Third and final observation and that's this one. That the cross is not only a far greater pain than the physical as Christ bore our sin there's a far greater gain going on in that the payment is being made for our forgiveness and our salvation. But third and finally, the cross is a public display of man's injustice, yes, but also a public demonstration of the uncompromised justice of God. Now this is a little heavy, but I want you to get this. Someone once said, okay, if God can do anything, is there anything so hard that God can't do it? That's a little trick question that... Often unbelievers will ask you, right? If you, if you think God can do everything, is there something so big God can't do it? And, and the answer to that is um, I like to surprise people. Yes, there is something God can't do. And the answer is God can't violate his own character, God can't sin. So God is just, he's holy. And he says the penalty for sin is death. God has to be true to that. God can't set that aside because he's also loving and say, well, you know, because I'm also loving and merciful, I want to act like I never said that, okay? So let's forget the sin thing. I'll just be loving. And, you know, and we won't worry about being holy and, and righteous and just. I'll just be loving and merciful and kind. And that's how our culture sees God. God is all about loving, merciful kindness, kind of like Santa Claus, but he's not wholly just. But God had a problem in the sense that the dilemma was, how do I stay just as God and not violate my own integrity? uh, And how do I stay just and also justify or forgive people? How do I do that? The cross was the only answer. Because let me just show it to you real quick. I like... Showing the comparison. How does God stay just and also justify or offer us forgiveness? Here it is, real quick. He he is holy, but He loves the unholy. That's the problem. He's righteous, but He must punish sin. That's the problem. He says the wages of sin is death. Therefore, what's He do? He dies in our place. He says, therefore, since someone's got to die for your sin, Dale, I don't want you to die. I'll send someone as your substitute. But it's got to be someone who has no sin of their own and someone who's perfect and innocent, the perfect Lamb of God who will come and be sacrificed for your sin, Dale, and for the sins of humanity. So that's the plan. So what flows out of it? His justice is fulfilled because He's true to His justice and holiness, but forgiveness can now be offered because the debt has been paid. It is finished, is how Jesus said it, right? And therefore the bottom line is it's paid in full. And now through faith there's an invitation. And notice how many times in this passage that our salvation is linked to us only doing one thing and that is exercising faith or trust in Christ. He says in verse 22, even the righteousness of God which comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all those who believe, it's a synonym for faith, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a payment in His blood through faith. Last of all, in the last verse I read, verse 26, Therefore He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So don't buy a false theology of universalism that says because Jesus did what he did, then therefore everyone will end up in heaven. That's not the message of the gospel. It's a lie. It's a popular lie, but don't go there. So this Easter, when you think of the cross, and someone says, why? And Why did it go down publicly? It went down publicly instead of privately because God put Jesus on display so that he would demonstrate publicly that with hindsight when we looked back on it and the offer of grace and forgiveness would come, everyone could say, we all saw what the Father did. Now we get it. Now we saw that God remained just and punished sin in Christ And now He can justify. Now He offers us forgiveness. That He might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. So none of us have anything to brag about or boast about because Christians are not better. They're just blessed by the grace of God. If you've placed your faith in Christ, then this Easter, remember the deeper meaning of the cross. Don't just view it as an unfair execution. Don't even just view it as an expression of how to love. It's that, but it's way more. It's Jesus taking a far greater pain of your sin and mine to deliver a far greater gain of eternal life as a free gift by His grace. If you've, if you've placed your faith in Christ Rejoice in that. Come next Sunday ready to get happy for the resurrection. If you've never done that, then I would invite you to pray with me now before we close with a song and and, uh, put your trust right there. Father God, thank you so much for what you did in Christ. Thank you for what was going on on the cross that human eyes could never see. But thank you that you offer us life You offer us forgiveness as a free gift because Jesus earned it for us. He paid our debt. So we put our trust in him this morning. If you've never done that, say, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. And I put my faith in you, not myself, but in you today. Help me to learn how to follow you all the days of my life in Christ's name. Amen.